Welcome to the Godcast with Benjamin Shelby, where broken people are made whole. I am your host, as always, Mr. Benjamin Shelby, and it is a pleasure to see you. And like every week before we get started, make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel for a piece of content every single day, and also subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you can listen to us every time we drop a video. Now, we talked about last week the new format for the podcast and how everything's changing, and it is, but now we're actually kicking that into high gear today. So, without further ado, let's begin with our first segment. Blessings with Ben, our first segment of the night, where I'm just going to talk about the things that God has done in my life, and boy has he done um, specifically amazing things in recent times. So this might be a little bit lengthier than most of them will be, um, but it's been six months since I put out my last podcast. The biggest thing, the, the, the biggest thing in my life that God has done recently is he has shown me the love of my life. Yep, you heard me right. I am off of the market and there's going to be a Mrs. Shelby by uh, June 29th of 2024. Uh, I, I'm engaged. This happened about a month and a half ago now and I can't even describe how excited I am about it really. Uh, most of you that are listening were close and I already told you or you follow me on, on uh, Instagram or whatever, but Man, the, the the excitement that I have um, to start my new life with Megan. And here's a picture of her. If you haven't seen her, she's the most beautiful girl in the world. And uh, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy. I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's not going to always be sunshine and rainbows. But I do know that I'm up to any task um, if she is the prize. So, um, yeah, I guess... That's what all I need to talk about on that. My life is changing and a uh, little nervous, little, little, um, I mean, obviously you're moving now, you're doing all these new things and it can be scary, but I do know that God's got my back and again, I'll, I'll, I have her, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to do all right. Uh, next is... My sister, I'm not going to say her name because she's too young and I don't want to do that on uh, the internet. As of recently, she went to the hospital and she had this, I don't know, this fluid or something uh, in her shoulder. It was a, it was an infected lymph node is what it was. And I mean, it was like the size of a baseball in on her shoulder. And it was, she was in hospital for like three days straight um, doing tests and stuff on her. She just had surgery about a week ago today. So she's, she's good. She's doing well. It's healing. So I'm really thankful for that. But if you guys want to be praying about something, that is a big thing to be praying for, um, that it stays, the infection stays away and she doesn't have to go in again or just, or worse. Um, all the tests for the terrible C word that nobody wants to hear 
it's good, it's clear, there's nothing there. So always thankful for stuff like that. Um, I could go, I could go on forever, but I want to save some stuff for next week um, about some of the other good things that have happened. It's again, it's going to be a long list of blessings because it's been six months. So um, yeah, I'm just really excited about all of those things, and I I'm just glad to be able to share that with you guys. Now, with that out of the way, let's move on to the next segment, shall we? <laughs> Now, this is something that I just, it, it boggles my mind that it was a real thing. And what it was, was there was this cosmopolitan, um, not the ice cream, that's called Neapolitan, you big dummy head. No, I'm joking. <laughs> cosmopolitan article where they were essentially, not essentially, they really were promoting satanic abortion satanic abortion and in this episode of culture according to christ i'm going to talk about that because there is a fascination with satan right now and it is really weird and i think i'm going to do a first part here talking about just everyday life, but I think next week in Culture According to Christ, I'm going to talk about the music industry and how that specifically is very linked to Satanism as of recently, and it really disturbs me. Anyway, so yeah, here's the headline for the Cosmopolitan um, article, and I just can't believe that's real. I can't believe that's real. And they would they they went through um, every single way to have an abortion while performing some sort of satanic ritual. Now I read it. I don't even feel comfortable talking about it on the show. I don't know what kind of evil entities I don't know what it, what will happen, or you know, I I I obviously believe that Satan is real and demons are real, and I just don't want to enforce any of that on you guys. All this to say, Cosmopolitan is, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably know it is a big journalist company. I mean, it is like top of the line for women specifically, and. This is the stuff they're pushing, guys. You think that we can sit on the sidelines while this stuff is going on? You can't. You can't. You have to pick your battles. People say, oh, we'll just stay out of culture war. Guys, this is not about culture war. This is not about left versus right. This is about we need to unite as a human race and realize Satan is evil. Why is that a controversial statement? And, you know, and we'll talk about this next week, too. I have some notes about it. But they'll talk about, oh, well, it's not Satanism. or It is Satanism, but it's not... Um, it's not, you know, worshiping Satan himself. What it is, is it's worshiping the idea of Satan and free will and being able to express yourself how you want. And you're like, if you listen to the idiotic things that you're saying right now, you are literally saying that you don't have free will unless you are a Satanist, which is wrong. God gave us free will. We have the right to do whatever we want. You have the right to practice Satanism. You do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, 
nobody's stopping you from doing what you want. You have the right to do it. God gave us free will. You do not have the right, though, to take a child's life. You don't. None of us do. Absolutely none of us have that right to take an innocent life. That's not even close to that. But although that's not a right, you do. You are able to do that. You are. You don't need to be a Satanist to have free will. Everybody has free will. You have free will to become a Satanist. So that's idiotic. And then you also think you, you look through thousands of years of history and most cultures, they know that there is a real entity of evil, Satan, right? They know that's real and they say that's bad. You stay away from that. And the cultures that didn't do that, the cultures that did worship Satan or, you know, these other, you know, malevolent, malignant, evil, little g-gods, those people did not turn out well. What are we doing, America? This is cosmopolitan. This is mainstream media. This is what millions of women have seen, especially young, impressionable ones. Because they obviously don't even have like a magazine anymore. It's all online. So people online have seen this. And what's interesting is that Cosmopolitan usually doesn't post more than one time about a thing. But they posted about this, I believe, if I remember right, three times. Three times. They are pushing this. They're pushing murdering children satanically. Well... While doing these seances in your living room after taking pills. It is sickening. And this is what happens when you don't have God. This is what happens when you decide, I don't need God. This is the problem with America. And this is the problem with Christians saying, we just need to stay out of all of it. No, you can't stay out of it. You can't. Look at what's going on right now. You cannot stay out of it. Use your voice. You have free will too. Use it. God gave us, God put you on this earth at this time to do something about it. You, the, the battle's not over. The war's not over. And at the end, we win. But how many children have to die to satanic rituals before we decide, hey, let's do something about this? Also, I sent it to uh, my fiance, and I was like, you know, they used to call this human sacrifice, offering up children to the devil, to Satan, to any god. That's the culture we live in, where cosmopolitan, because nobody, nobody will say anything, they are literally promoting evil, evil things, human sacrifices. Of innocent, unborn children. That's the culture, America. And it's time we see it through Christ's eyes. Now, with that heavy subject out of the way, let's move on to the message. So like I said last week, these two episodes are really going to go hand in hand because we're talking about uh, Satanism and the culture and we're do listening to the first half of my sermon that I presented a couple of weeks ago at my church. 
um, on what happens when you lose the love of God. When, when you, who used to be following God, somehow grow distant so far away from him that you do not see the, one of the most defining qualities of God. What happens then? And how do we regain that trust and that knowledge of who God is? How does that happen? Well, we're going to talk about that today. So I hope you enjoy and I'll see you when it's over. All right. Let me get my Bible out here. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Woo. That's my voice. All right. We're good. (laughs) All right. Hopefully that was a good wake up call. I tell you what, I love the snow, but there's nothing like when it starts snowing that makes me want to just take a nap more. So uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, give you what the Lord had given to me. I do have to, before I get started, though, uh, ask since you guys are the church body to be praying for Nora, because obviously you guys know all of the things that was going on with her. She spiked the fever just uh, like 10 minutes ago, so mom's taking her probably to the ER. So if you guys will be in prayer for that. Uh, that the doctor guides, uh, or that God guides the doctor's hands in that. Um, I know that God will get the glory through all of it. So this afternoon, I want to do just a general overview of not the entire book, but a good uh, portion of the book, because I believe that this book is quite possibly one of my favorite books of the Bible, and maybe one of the most relatable and uh, relevant stories ever recorded, where a nation on top of the world, living high on God's promises and blessings, that same nation grew to not see God's love anymore. In that same nation, they didn't understand what happened, yet somehow the one that they walked so close with, they started to not even see one of the defining characteristics of God, which is love. And I just want to do a little study on how that comes to fruition. And I'm talking about the book of Malachi. I know Pastor did Malachi not too long ago, and um, I just went through it in my Bible study not too long ago. But it is something that I think gets often overlooked, and I have uh, just some things that God laid on my heart to talk about in this message. So there's three main points to this message if you're going to keep notes. And before I give you the points, I'm going to um, say a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. So thank you all, by the way, for coming. Thank you all for uh, supporting me, as um, it it really does mean a lot. So I'm going to get started. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, get started in the Word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity, God, that you know I love so much. I do pray that you please guide my words, guide the way that I speak, God. I pray you please help me to focus on the message today, God, and I just um, thank you for everything you are. I thank you for all the people that showed up, and I do pray for Nora as she is going to the hospital. God, you know um, how much of a burden that can be on my heart, so I pray you please just uh, comfort me in that and help me to just say everything you'd like me to say, God. I thank you for this opportunity again. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to begin, and we're just going to walk through the first three chapters of Malachi, and again, this is something I could I could talk for 30 minutes on every five verses of Malachi because I think it's so relatable to me and I find myself in these pages. But um, I'm not going to talk over everything. And so I do encourage you, if you haven't read through it recently, um, to go through and read the book of Malachi because there's a lot more to it that I won't be able to get into. And also, 
Uh, obviously, this is talking about the nation of Israel, but I believe that there is applicable things to our lives in this book. I believe there's applicable things to our life throughout the entire scripture. I think that God gave us this scripture so that we could live um, by the, the ways that he would have us to live and to, to reprove. I mean, it, the Bible says that it's um, the not one jot or tittle will pass away. That, that shows that we are able to get something out of every scripture. So we're going to get started in chapter one. And point one is I have written here a sincere suspicion. That's point one. And in uh, chapter one, verse one, it says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Now there's no way to read the tone of something written, really, unless it specifically says uh, in literature how they say it. You can read it in different ways. But I think looking at this and looking through uh, the way that the way that the nation of Israel acts throughout this book is them seriously asking God, where have you loved us? I don't think they meant it in a malicious way. And again, I could be proven wrong, but through this, because as we see and as we read on, it says that they were doing a little bit. They were partially serving God. That means that they probably partially wanted to serve God. So to one extent or another, I do believe that this is an actual question. God, where have you loved us? And again, that is a defining characteristic of God. One of the biggest characteristics we've ever, that God talks about is that he is love. So for somebody to, at one point, be walking with God, at one point, wanting to serve God with all of their heart, get to this point to not even be able to see one of the biggest things that God is, is interesting. And I think it's something that we all can relate to. And there is a point to be made, before I move on, that Malachi is a lot like Proverbs in this way, where there's a repetitive nature to it, where God says something of his characteristics or a, a truth, then the people question the validity, the validity of that truth, and then God gives them the answer. And I do have to say, I love that we serve a God who allows us to ask questions. Not in a malicious way, not to be like, oh yeah, well God, if you're so good, why would you do this? But to genuinely go to him and ask questions, he answers. And so we, when we have these questions, we can go to God with them. So God says, I have loved you. He comes right out the gate saying, I've loved you, Israel. And they say, how have you loved us? And God gives them the answer. So in uh, subpoint A of the, um, point one is the forgotten foundation of the Father. And we see that through, verse, uh, through verses two and five. I have loved you, saith the Lord, but yet you say, Where have, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau and had laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Where is... Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Lust saith the Lord, they shall build, but I will throw down and they shall call and they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the borders 
of Israel. So when they ask, God, how have you loved us? God goes back and shows what he's already done for them. And that's something that I think we often do, right? I, I have, again, I've felt this way. And God says, hey, don't you remember what I did for you before? And God is showing his love for his people and for the people that loved him by contrasting them with people who hated him, with people who didn't want anything to do with God. He says, this is how you can know I loved you. Look at what I brought you from. Esau and Jacob both had the exact same upbringing. They both came from the exact same place. And yet the one who chose not to follow God, the one who chose not to love God, and the one who chose to love God, you see the, ways, the, the different ways that they were blessed. So God specifically points out, hey, remember, look at, Edom says they're going to build up. Edom obviously being the descendants of Esau. They said, we're going to build up again. Sure, we're desolate now, but we're going to come back. And God says, that's not going to happen because they hate me. And because, because they hate me, I hate them. That's what God says here. But he says, but to those who love me and the ones that I love. And again, we can go into a lot of, you know, the, the pre-knowledge of everything and what that actually means by God hating them, but I don't want to get into that right now. I just want to get into God says that they will see victory again in verse 5. God says it. In verse 5, he says that you will see and your eyes shall see and you will say that the Lord will be magnif- magnified from the borders of Israel. That's just an important thing to note. Okay, so uh, let me see here. I kind of lost my spot. Okay, but yes, how often do we forget what God has done for us? And the Bible talks over and over again about setting up memorials in our life. Why don't we do that? Or if we do do it, how do we forget the memorials? You know what I mean? We have to remember what God has taken us from in order for us to move forward. It's the truth. So, Subpoint eight was the forgotten foundation of the father. So they ask a question, God gives them the answer, and now we're seeing in subpoint B the disrespected deity in verses six through nine. And we're going to break it down with each verse. A son, verse six says, a son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto unto you, O priests, that despise my name, and ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? So God says, if if a father deserves honor, where is my honor? And if a master deserves fear, where is my fear? These are things that we all know to be true, that you honor your parents, you respect your, your masters or your uh, what, we, we, what we would say now, employers or, you know, people in authority. God's saying, where is that for me? And, again, and it's interesting that he's talking to the priests, right? He's talking to the people who hold God's name. Back then, that's what they did. They held God's name. And now, who is that? It's us. Now, of course, we're not priests, but we do hold God's name. It's up to me. It's up to you. It's up to all of us to show the people who God is. Oftentimes, people don't read the Bible. I was at Dollar General uh, last night, I believe, and I, I don't know if I talked to this lady about uh, my faith, but 
it's, it's really interesting the way that God works because I was talking to her and I was checking out or whatever. And she said, so did you, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I was like, yeah, I did. And then she said, did, you, did your church do anything for Thanksgiving? I don't remember ever telling her I went to church. <laughs> I don't remember ever doing that. But God calls us to carry his name. And the way that we respond to people, the way that we uh, do things, it, it might be the only Bible that people read. We might be the only people that, that they'll come into contact with who wants to, or who uh, sees God working through us. It's the same way with, with the priests. We are that now. We are the people who, who um, are carrying the name of God. And he says, it is them. This, this verse is dedicated to the priests, the people who are supposed to be holding God's name. So God's name is diluted in verse 6. Then in verse 7, God's commandments are tainted. Verse 7, ye offer polluted bread upon my altar, and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. So if we're taking what this verse says, we can see that God's commandments are tainted when we do not give God what he wants. And we'll get into that more. But the point being right now is that you can taint what God has told us to do. If we do not follow through everything that God says, we can do that. They did not totally get rid of these sacrifices, guys. They were still doing that. They, they were still, uh, if we're talking about modern day, they were still going to church. They were still maybe reading their Bible. They maybe still are doing all these good things. But they are being partial in the law. And they were becoming complacent with what they were giving God. And in verse 8 through 9, it's very specific. If, the, if verse 6 didn't nail it home, verse 8 and 9 nails it home, that God's people are at fault. That's, that's what verses 8 and 9 says. It says, and, ye offer the, if, and if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us, that this hath been, this hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord God of hosts? He says, it is by your means. What, the more, what we're going to continue reading, it has all been brought on people because of the unfaithfulness of God's people. And I want to get back to the idea that they are feeling no love from God. None at all. They said, how have you loved us, God? They're not feeling any of it. How is that possible? Well, when you start, uh, and we'll get into it later, but when you start to um, get away from what God says, and you start polluting what God says for us to do, we no longer have that communication with him. They weren't feeling God's love. Why? Because they simply were not doing what they were supposed to do. Now, I do have to say there are nuances to that. Not every time that you have a feeling is because of your faults. Job also was that way, right? And it was very clear that that's not what happened. 
But I think that if we're feeling the absence of love from God and we're feeling the absence of God, this is an important quiz, if you would say, to take. Are we doing what God says? Are we polluting God's name? Are we, are we uh, tainting God's commandments? And the church is suffering from this. Not just our church, but I feel like every, every just churches as a whole, because all churches are the body of Christ. The church as a whole is struggling with people not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And hey, I promise you, I'm, I'm one of the biggest components to that. I promise you. And I want to say this statement, and I want you guys to write this down if you would. The great church destruction of, we see today directly correlates with the great church distraction we saw yesterday. The destruction we see today, the, things, the, 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 the way that God's uh, no longer has, you know, it, the, the America used to be a Christian country. And there is a difference between being Christian and being saved. I don't want to get into that. But essentially, there, we used to want to do what was right. And we used to use an actual firm foundation to judge what is right and wrong. And clearly, that's not quite the case anymore. Why? Because the church is being distracted. And we can say church as a whole, but we all individually are the body of Christ. I can get distracted. I have been distracted. We, we can all be that way. The great church destruction we see today directly correlates with the great church distraction we saw yesterday. Okay, so that was point one. Now we're getting into point two, which is in chapter two, because we're going to, like I said, we're just doing a brief overview. And, and point two is a critical choice. Point two is a critical choice. God, uh, we'll, we'll read verses four through seven first, okay? So chapter two, verse four through seven. And ye shall know that I have sent, uh, yeah, that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord God of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace. I gave them to him for the fear with, with, wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was found in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they shall see, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now again, this is talking to the priests, but nowadays we are the messengers, right? We are the messengers of hope. That's us. So the way that God jumps into this, he says that he goes back again to the past. He goes back to the past. And he says, the covenant I made with Levi was this. That, that um, those who carry out my name, those who do what I say, these, these five things you will see in their life. Point one is living in, living in obedience. Verse 4, And you shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord God of hosts. A covenant needs people to be, uh, to, to, let me see how I want to word this. So a covenant is between two people, right? That means that you need to hold up your end of the bargain. That means that you need to do what God says. 
So you need to have obedience in that. Then in verse 5, it talks about how he's living in the fear of God. My covenant was with him, life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear with, wherewith he feared me and was afraid before thy name, my name. Verse 6, we see how he's living in purity. Verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. What he said, while how he talked, how he, his demeanor to the world was simply that he was a pure man, Levi. I think that's something that we all, we all can feel sometimes, that that's not quite the way that we are perceived, maybe. Another thing in verse 6 is that he lived in confident peace. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. He was confident in his peace. He walked with peace. He walked with equity. He was confident, and because of his confidence in what he believed, he turned many away from iniquity. He turned many away from sin. Oftentimes, we live complacent. We say, okay, well, what they're doing is not directly affecting me, so I, I'll look the other way. That's not what Levi did. That's not what he did at all. And then in verse 7, it says that he was living in wisdom. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they shall seek the law of his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord God of hosts. That's where we're going to stop today, halfway in between point two. But I do have to say there were some good points in there um, about what happens when you walk away from God. And I do hope that that was helpful. I really do think that there was some uh helpful pointers in that video so yeah i'll see you guys next week and i can't wait for it it's going to be so exciting and um remember god does love you no matter what you believe no matter what you feel god does love you and he's proven it over and over again i just hope you remember that and i know it's hard sometimes and i know it's hard for me sometimes but god really does love you guys and god really wants the best for you and even though the culture wants you to kill your children and give it to Satan. And I'm not even joking in that. That's really what they want you to do. God says he loves you. Jamin out.